What's up, guys? Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking out today's episode. And just when it seems like the world can't get any crazier, it finds a way to. And what I'm specifically talking about today is the craziness that's been going on in the stock market over the last week or so. And I know there's been a lot of commentary. There's been a lot of things said. There's been a lot of, of wild, just a lot of wild things taking place. And Probably if you're watching this, you at least are aware of what's been going on, specifically around a few stocks, uh, primarily the GameStop stock. And if you don't know what GameStop is, it's, it's at least as I recall, I mean, I've been there several times when I was younger, but you know, we used to go in, we used to trade old game consoles like Xbox 360s or, or PlayStation this or that. I don't even remember what they were called back then, but you know, our older game consoles, we'd go in there, we'd trade them in, we'd trade our games and we could get some new, new games. We could get some new consoles and it was really a retail store. And, and we actually have one, or at least I think we have one still in Olympia where I live, Olympia, Washington, and, and really is a retail store and it's in a strip center. And I know lots of them are in malls across the country and, and, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that GameStop as a retail brick and mortar business is probably not a great business model or a great business to be in or be invested in in the future. And so essentially what happened is we had a lot of hedge funds that were buying, uh, basically were essentially shorting the stock and they were shorting the stock to a level that exceeded the actual available stock to short. And I won't get into all the details about what that means, what that doesn't mean, because it, it really doesn't actually matter for the content of what I want to share here today. But, but basically, you had this situation where you basically had this guy on, online, and he, he basically had been sort of bullish, as, as they allege, on the GameStop brand. And he was investing in GameStop over the last year or so, and he had made a considerable amount of money. And, and one thing led to another, as I understand it. And the next thing you know, it became public knowledge, really, that there were all these hedge funds, all these big fat cats, if you will, out there shorting the stock. And essentially, the thing that's interesting about when you short a stock, you're, you're basically betting against the business. You're basically betting that the business is, is either going to fail or is going to, or is, or is not doing very well and the market hasn't yet realized how well it's not doing. And at some point you're banking on that stock price to go down. And then when that happens, uh, you can make money. You can make a lot of money. You can especially make a lot of money if you use someone else's money, like the bank, that's called margin, to buy or, or to, I don't wanna get into all the technical details, but to essentially short the stock. The flip side of that is there's like an unlimited downside. And so the higher the stock price goes, the more money that you as a short investor lose. And so what happened essentially was a group of, you know, merry men, if you will, a group of, and not just a group, I mean, lots of people started jumping on the bandwagon of let's just, let's buy GameStop stock. Let's jack that price up as high as we can go because what happens is is as these hedge funds have shorted these stocks or this stock in particular and the price gets higher and higher and higher and a lot of those hedge funds use someone else's like a bank's money to to put put those shorts together or to invest in those shorts whatever you want to call it uh, the bank that they borrowed the money from says at some point hey this is getting pretty out of hand and i i need you to give me some money i'm going to do what they call a margin call and a lot of times those companies don't necessarily have that money because they never really thought that they could lose that much money, excuse me, that much money. And so it becomes a vicious cycle. And, and what we've seen over the last week is we've seen what, what looks like, and we don't know all the details yet. I think there's some, some different theories out there, but, but it really does seem like, at least on the surface, that the little guy got together and they used their collective power to essentially stick it to the big guy, to stick it to the system, to stick it to the oppressor, if you will. Not that I like, I don't really like to use oppressor and oppressed uh, often, but, but in the context of sort of the cultural narrative, that's kind of what you saw take place here over the last, I don't know, week. And, and then the, the culmination of it all was some of the trading platforms came out and said, hey, you know, this is getting out of hand. We're gonna halt trading. We're not gonna let you as our user execute any trades, or I think 
they revised it, some of them at least, Robinhood, the main trading platform, and said, hey, we'll let you make one trade. I think that was what they did yesterday. And, and so anyway, all that doesn't necessarily matter for the context of what I wanna share here today, other than to say that the public kind of feels, and, and I think rightfully so to a degree, they kind of feel that, you know, we were kicking Wall Street's butt in this particular instance, and the minute that Wall Street started to really wear it in the shorts, they somehow figured out a way to manipulate the trading platforms to halt trading so that we couldn't keep kicking their butt so that they wouldn't lose their shorts. And then they let those guys sort of get out before it got any worse or get out to a degree before it got worse. And, and basically it just felt like, and I think the narrative really has revolved around this idea of, here we go again with the big guy and the government and the elite and the powers that be basically just telling the little guy that there's nothing you can do. We are just going to continue to pummel you. We're gonna to continue to lord over you and we're gonna to continue to, to get rich um, or to game the system in a way where we can get rich. And when our riches basically become at risk, we'll stop it. And in so doing, we will essentially strip you of your ability to build wealth for yourself. And that really, I think, summarizes kind of what has happened. And, and I think the reason I started off by saying just when it seems like the world can't get any crazier, it does, is because basically the populist movement in the political realm, which we've experienced really since probably 2008, now it's spilling over into the financial world. And I think I said in my first financial episode a few episodes ago that, that really money is a pillar of life. In my mind, in, in, sort of in my worldview, I think it's one of the five main pillars of life. And, and, and it's because if you think about it, and really where I wanna go with all of this just today is to hopefully give you something that might help you on a practical level as you sort of continue your financial journey. And, and what I've found, like with my faith and politics and now money is where for so much of my life, it was sort of easy or at least easier to keep those things a little bit separate. And now they're all converging because, because it's hard to separate them anymore based on policies that are taking place and things that are happening. happening. And so, you know, what we're seeing is the convergence of all these things at the same time smashing together. And, and I think that at the end of the day, so much of what we're really struggling with is the same thing. It's like these hedge funds, these elites, these people that control so much of the resource basically just get to stick it to us as the little guys, no matter how much collective bargaining is kind of how I think of it in this instance, you know, we've come together collectively to, to put it to them and we can't and we struggle to, and yeah, we got it over on them for a minute, but then the system came in and it, and it, you know, it knocked us down and it beat us up a little bit. And it feels the same way for many of us in the political world. And here we are, here we are experiencing the same kinds of problems and challenges where the elites and the powers that be and the politicians and the ultra, and I think this is something I really wanna say, it's not just rich people. I, I'm so tired of hearing that. There's a lot of rich people in my community. And that is not who we're talking about. What we're talking about is the top, let's say 10th of the top 1% or the top 5% of the top 1%. We are talking about probably 1500 individuals or families in this country and in the world that control probably at this point, the majority of the resources in the world. And those people, that's why you hear them called elites, those people don't seem to ever have to live with any consequences because they can always buy their way out or they manipulate their way out. And, and that's so often the frustration that we hear on the financial side. And now on the political side, it's really gaining steam. And it's the same issues, right? It's the same issues that like America was really founded on this idea that the individual mattered, that the individual could come together with other individuals 
and decide how they wanted to be ruled in a, in a sense, decide how they wanted to, to be governed. And yet here we are all, all this time later, and that's not happening. At least it's not happening the way that we, many of us, I would say the majority of us think that it should. And here we are looking at another example of that very thing taking place. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to step back and say, okay, I personally did not participate in the GameStop or the AMC or any of these other companies in their run-ups during this last week. And I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing if you did or didn't. I think that the main thing that I want to talk about today is what, what I think will happen as a result and how we might be able to think about money and investing moving forward. Because I think, here's what I think is going to happen. Everybody's really excited right now, or at least a lot of people are really excited right now because a little guy has made a whole lot of money and it looks like the big guy has taken it in the shorts. Here's the reality. The reality is, is the big guy hasn't completely taken it in the shorts. And what's going to happen is at some point when people start selling and there's not enough buyers to keep running the price up, which I think will happen pretty soon, the stock price is going to start going down. And it's highly likely, although I don't have a crystal ball and I don't pretend to be a psychic, but it's highly likely that the stock price will fall very quickly. And you know, primarily who's going to wear it in the shorts when that happens? It's not the big guy. The big guys, they're smart. They do this for a living. They do it every day. And they've taken one on the chin, uh, but most of them are going to live to, to see and fight another day. However, there's going to be a lot of little guys who lose a lot of money. And hopefully, my hope, I don't know the statistics, but I hope that most of the people that have invested their money at like $200 a share, $300 a share in GameStop, hopefully they only put in a few hundred bucks because I'm telling you right now, if they put in tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or thousands that they didn't have to lose, the reality is there's going to be a lot of little guys that lose a lot of money in probably a short period of time. And then here's what's gonna happen. The government is going to come in and they're gonna create some more regulation. They're gonna say, we can never have that happen again. And so here's how we're gonna regulate it. Here's how we're gonna protect the consumer. Here's how we're gonna make sure that none of this stuff ever happens again. And then we're gonna have more regulations in a market that's already probably overregulated, like every other market. And then it's gonna cost more. And then the little guy's gonna have a harder time investing in it. And ultimately there will be lots of little guys and, and gals. When I say guys, I'm talking guys, gals, but there will be a lot of little investors, small time investors who really do wear it in the shorts. And, and, and the, re, the reality and the reason being, because, and you hear this as a justification from the hedge funds. They say, hey, at the end of the day, the, the small investor doesn't understand what they're doing. And, and this is going to end badly. And then the people who are on the small investor side say, no, 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 you're just mad because we're kicking your tush on this one. And the, the reality is I can actually see it both ways. I think that yes, it's pretty hysterical in a lot of ways that through the internet and through the crowd, which is the future and through the, the ability to, to share and disseminate information so quickly, the little guy is really beating the, it's like David is beating Goliath right now in this example. At the same time, I can see the reality of who's going to ultimately get hurt and who it will hurt the most. And so what I want to do on, on this episode, the remainder of it, is say, okay, what ultimately is the point of putting your money in the stock market or putting your money in real estate or putting your money in some of whatever investment class, whether it's a commodity or a cryptocurrency or whatever is it? And I think that simplistically, the way I think about it is there's two main things, two main reasons that we want to invest our money. That we want to, and, and Warren Buffett, I heard him say it at one point, he said, the, the definition of investing is foregoing consumption today so that we have the ability to consume more tomorrow. And I think that's a pretty good simplistic uh, explanation or definition of what is investing. And so in this instance, when we talk about, well, what is the point of putting that money into these certain kinds of investments. And I think there's two things. One is you wanna preserve your purchasing power. So I think 
at the bare minimum, when we go back to Mr. Buffett's definition, at the, at the minimum, I would say it's uh, foregoing consumption today so that you can consume at least the same amount as you could today, tomorrow, okay? Then the second part would be not just having the same amount of purchasing power tomorrow that you had today, but like he said, having more. And the problem that I see with so often people investing in the stock market or they invest in the real estate market is very often, they don't actually, they haven't been educated on the basics, like from a 35,000 or a 50,000 uh, foot level of what investing is supposed to be. And then like on the boots on the ground level, they haven't been educated. And part of why I like doing these videos is because I think that especially in a day and age where information is being throttled and it's being choked out, information, our ability to continue to develop our minds, to continue to learn, to continue to think and debate and, and grow, information is vitally important. It's vitally important. And I think, listen, if, if you're trying to figure out where do I, how do I deal with money, with all the craziness going on in the world, with all the quantitative easing, with the run up on asset values and prices and all these different things, what do I do? And I think that's where education is so important. And the way I would think about it, the way I do think about it is I say, okay, Price is what you pay, value is what you get. That's another Buffettism, okay? Price is what you pay and value is what you get in exchange for the price you paid. And when we look at a stock like GameStop, the reason it was being shorted is because it doesn't make any money really anymore. And if you think about it, like in the stock market, if, if you've ever looked into the stock market, which if you're watching this, you probably have, you've heard of, the PE ratio, the price to earnings ratio, right? So the price you're paying, like for every dollar that you pay, how many dollars in earnings do you get, right? And so for a long time, you might've thought that a good price to earnings ratio was let's say 15, okay? That means for every $15 that you paid or invested in a stock, your pro rata share of the earnings would be $1, okay? So that's about a 7.5% return. So that means that that company, if you gave them 100 of your dollars, right, they would go out and they would invest it in building their business and growing their business. And at the end of the day, at the end of the year, when they had their profits left over, for the $100 you gave them, your percentage of that profit would be about 7.5%, which means you would get what is that? Seven and a half dollars, right? Okay, so over time, hopefully, that business would continue to take that seven and a half dollars on your behalf if you don't get a dividend check from them and they would reinvest it in the business. And hopefully the next year it would be eight dollars and then eight fifty and then nine and then ten and then and then someday it might be as much as you paid for the stock, like like Warren Buffett when he bought Coca-Cola. He bought Coca-Cola for a price where his dividends per year now are almost as much as he paid for the stock. I think it was in the, the 70s or the 80s. Okay, but maybe that's too abstract. So let's think about this in terms of a rental house. That would be like if you went out in 19, and this is totally doable. There's a lot of people that this has happened to. Let's say you bought a house in 1970. And let's say you paid $35,000 for that house. That was the price you paid. Today in 2021, if you still own that house, you might be earning like after taxes more than $35,000 a year from the house, especially if you bought it like on the beach in Malibu or something, right? And I don't know how much they cost back then. This is just an example, but you might be earning more per year in profit than you paid for the house in 1970 or 1980, <clears throat> okay? That's the purpose of making an investment, okay? The purpose of making an investment is to put your money into something where it will grow, hopefully passively, faster than the rate of inflation, okay? So, so let's say that you have a million dollars in your bank account, right? And then let's say that 
that inflation, let's say that million dollars, like I used this in an example previously in a, another video, but, but let's say that million dollars could buy you one house. But let's say next year that house was $1,100,000. You got poorer because your million dollars in that bank account, especially today, if, if it was in a bank account today, wouldn't really earn anything. Maybe it would earn 10,000 bucks. But the asset price that you wanted to purchase, the thing you wanted to purchase, your purchasing power went down because inflation ate your lunch, okay? So in order to not have that happen, to not get poorer, even though our earning, or excuse me, even though our, our savings in this case, our million dollars grew a little, if the cost of things grew faster, we got poor. So in order to make sure we don't get poorer, well, our money, right? Because we want to preserve our money and then we want to grow it. But we, we don't want to just grow it to where we can buy the same amount of stuff with it next year. We want to grow it so we could buy a little bit more. In order to do that, we have to invest that money in something that earns more, right? Then the inflation costs. So in this example, instead of going like $1 million and then having a million ten thousand dollars next year while the house costs a million one hundred thousand we want to have it where our million next year is one million one hundred and fifty thousand and the house is one million one hundred thousand so we are outpacing inflation why do i say all of this i say all of this because when we look at how most people buy stocks right we look at how most people buy stocks and most people buy stocks because they heard the company was good I think there's a lot of growth. Maybe their broker told them. Um, could be a variety of reasons. But so often it's not how much is the company earning? How much of profit is my share? And how much am I paying in exchange for that share of the profit? Because if the ultimate goal, right, is to have more money to buy more stuff or to passed down to my kids or whatever it might be, but, but ultimately to have more purchasing power than today, then I have to care about what their returns are, okay? So what we see instead so often is what people care about is what do they think the stock price will be or what do they think the price of the house will be, right? They're trying to time the market. They're trying to guesstimate what the market will be. And another thing Buffett always says, is he says in the short term, the stock market is like a voting machine. And in the long term, it's a weighing machine. And so I think part of it is we have to delineate between speculation and investing, right? Like if you're a day trader, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Well, there may be a few things wrong with it on a different level, but in terms of trying to make money, there's nothing wrong with being a day trader, okay? Um, but it's, it's not typically investing. It's typically speculating, right? You're looking at graphs and charts and you're doing technical analysis and, and ultimately you're trying to time when it will go up or when it will go down, when you should buy and when you should sell. And so how you're really making your money is based on the appreciation of the asset that you're selling. And if you don't time things right, you end up in a world of hurt. Now, investing is different because investing, we're looking at the underlying productivity, the underlying profits of an entity, whether it's a piece of real estate or a stock, a business. And a stock is just a share of a business, right? So, so when we're investing, what we're looking at is, is how much is the underlying cash flow stream or the underlying profit stream? How much am I willing to pay in exchange for that, right? So in a really simplistic example, if you're going to go buy an apartment complex, you might say, listen, in order for me to part with my million dollars, I need to be able to make at least 10% on my money, which means you have to have that thing kick off $100,000, either in cash flow, right? Or in a combination of cash flow and appreciation. That's another video for another day. But the reality is in the stock market right now, in most of these tech companies, and I'm gonna share my screen with you here in just a second, but in most of these companies and in most of these examples, that is not what's happening. What is happening instead is just massive speculation. And I'm gonna give you a quick example. Let's look at Tesla, right? Tesla's one of those deals where, hey, a lot of people like Tesla. Uh, a lot of people have made a lot of money in Tesla. A lot of people are all about Tesla. That's great, except for, 
when we look at Tesla, right? Check this out. I'm on Yahoo Finance. Tesla close at close on January 29th. That was yesterday. Was trading at $793 per share. Their earnings per share were 52 cents. So that's like you saying, hey, Tesla, I'm going to give you 800 bucks. And in exchange, I just need you to give me 52 cents every year. Okay. That's not very good. That is not a very good return on your investment. Okay. Now, when we look at, well, what does that look like? That's a 1500 PE ratio, basically. That's like you're going to make 0.07% on your money. If I came to you and I said, hey, I want you to invest in this new business that I'm starting. And I can pay you a 0.07% return. <laughs> like, hey, I need to find some people who would invest in that deal. Now, I get it. People on would say, yeah, but this is Elon Musk. I mean, this, is, this thing is going to grow. It's going to be more successful. Uh, the earnings, or excuse me, the revenue is going to grow, and then they're going to get economies of scale, and then the, the earnings will grow, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, to justify paying $800 per share, the earnings would have to grow so exponentially that I honestly don't think it's possible. And like, I could be wrong. I'm not here giving you financial advice. I'm not telling you what stocks to buy or not to buy. I'm just trying to help you think about why in, why in the world would you spend $800 in order to get 50 cents back? Like when inflation is definitely more than 0.07%, okay? So let's look at another one because I, I got a few here. So that was Tesla. And then let's look at Amazon. Okay, Amazon, a close of business Friday, was trading at $3,200 a share. Okay, their earnings per share were $34.20. So you give Amazon $3,200, they'll give you $32 back, or excuse me, $34 back. That's a PE ratio of 94. So for every $100 that you give them, so let's do it this way. For every, yeah, for every $100, or in this case, $94, you give Amazon, you get $1 back. Again, I, I would love to sell that. That's, that's a, as, an, as a company, if I could sell stock where I only had to pay someone a dollar for every $100 they gave me, basically, I mean, that'd be a pretty easy way to earn money or raise money, okay? Uh, let's look at GameStop because we're going to go back full circle. GameStop right now, a close of business on Friday, was $325 a share. Their earnings were a negative $4 a share. So, so that's why there were so many shorts on the stock, because they're not making money. Now, let's just say that you wanted to make 10% on your money on GameStop. GameStop would legitimately have to pay you $35, right? So your earnings per share. GameStop's earnings per share would have to be $35, excuse me, $32.20, wow, $32.50 a share in order to justify you paying $325 for the stock. That would be basically 10% on your $325. Now, that would be a PE ratio of 10. That's really low in today's day and age. So let's say it was 20. Well, they'd have to pay you half of that. They'd have to pay you $16 per share Right? Like, what has to happen to GameStop to go from negative $4 a share in earnings to positive $16 a share in earnings? A lot. Right? Now, again, I'm not saying that people can't or shouldn't. I mean, I personally wouldn't invest in GameStop even during the run-up. And that's why. Because if I'm going to invest $325 into a company, if I'm going to buy a piece of a company for $325, I, I need to get some money back for that. I need at least that, that, that company to make enough money where my pro rata share of that money can be invested back into the company or sent to me in a dividend check because that's the whole purpose of investing, right? Speculating is just hoping or thinking that the price will go up because more people will want to buy it at a higher price just because. Investing is saying more people will want to buy it at a higher price because it's actually making more money, right? So like more, like in real estate, 
It's pretty simple. We would say the equivalent. I'm just going to, this is not how real estate works, but let's pretend it is. Let's say we are going to buy a piece of real estate or a share in a real estate company. And let's say that company, the price was $325. Well, I would need that company to be able to pay me, let's say $32 every year in order for me to give them my $325. Like that's how it would work because the whole point of putting my money in the business or in that real estate asset is so that it can pay me a return because I'm foregoing spending that money on something that I might want today in hopes that I might only get $32 or $16 a share per year now, but if this thing keeps growing and getting better, by the time I really want to get that money, it might be $50 or $60 a share. Like that's the purpose of investing. And if it is $50 or $60 a share, let's say 10 years from now, that's the earnings for my share. Well, if the next person wants to make 10% on their money, they can afford to pay me $600 a share. So, so I'm paying $325 now because it would pay me, let's say $32 a share. That's what I want. And if it keeps becoming more profitable as time goes on, and let's say 10 years from now, it's earning $60 per share, then I could sell it to the next guy for $600. And he would still be making a 10% return. Now, listen, I understand. That's a simplistic, very simplistic way to explain how this is working. But the, the reality is, is oftentimes we make it way too complicated. Yes, we could get complicated. We could get into all the nuance. We could talk about all these different things. But the reality is for most people, the people who I think really are going to get hosed when this is all said and done, there will be a lot of small investors that make a lot of money and have made a lot of money. That's awesome. But then there's going to be a lot of small investors who lose money. And, and maybe it's a lot, maybe it's not. But the reality is they're losing money. Some of them are going into it knowing that they're, they're probably going to lose money and that they're risking money. And there's a lot of other people who have no idea because they don't know how to look at it this way. So in a previous video, I talked about Benjamin Graham and I talked about Warren Buffett and, and Benj Benjamin Graham's sort of philosophy on, on how to value something. And when I look at this, and, I, and I'm going to show you my screen here again, this is the 10-year treasury, right? Which is basically when the, when the, the government issues a bond, Right? They need to borrow some money and they say, here's how much interest we can pay you. So on the 29th, that was Friday, the 10-year treasury was paying 1.11%. So listen, you could give the government $100 and they would promise to pay you $1.11 in a year. If you wanted to give them your money for 30 years, they'd pay you $1.87, okay? Okay. So that's not very much money. That's not even coming close to keeping up with inflation, right? But there's people that loan the government money at $1.87 per year or $1.11 per year because they think that it's as low risk of, of an investment, air quotes there, as you can get. Well, there's people that are paying Tesla a lot more and getting a lot less than that right there. Now, they think, many of them, that Tesla will just at some point earn a lot of money. But if we go back to the Tesla example, right? I mean, to pay Tesla $800 a share, if we were going to compare it to Amazon, right? Amazon is trading at a... Uh, and basically, let's call it 100, 100 PE ratio for round numbers. So for every $100 you give them, you get a dollar back, right? So if we were going to do the same thing for Tesla, value it the same way, well, then we'd be giving them $800. So they'd have to be giving us $8 back. But right now they're only giving us 52 cents back. So they'd have to increase their earnings 16 times, if I'm doing my math right in my head, <laughs> And if I'm not, tell me in the comments section. But, but as I'm doing the math in my head, I would say just to be valued similarly to Amazon, they'd have to increase their earnings 16 times. And Amazon is probably three times more expensive than it would be in a normal market. 
Okay, so then let's take 16 and times it by three. That's 48. So, so for Tesla to have a reasonably normal and still very high PE ratio, it would have to grow earnings 48 times. It would have to become 48 times more profitable. Like how long do we think it's gonna to take to become 48 times more profitable? And like Warren Buffett said, I'm going back in time here. In the short term, right now, in this bubble, what we're dealing with is a voting machine. Like, listen, as long as the volume's there and as long as a lot of people are on the bandwagon and they're jumping back and forth and they're doing all these things, like as long as that's good, you can make money. And you might make money and you might not make money. But in the long term, when it's the weighing machine, when it's really looking at it and it's saying, well, how much money does this company really earn? And if you're gonna be a partner in that business, how much do you get? In the long run, I don't know. And I could be wrong, and I'll be the first to say it if, if Elon proves me wrong. But from a value standpoint, like, like oh, I hate to keep saying Warren Buffett, geez, but, but he's a smart guy. And he says the number one job of any investor is to know how to allocate capital. So if you only have a limited amount of capital, let's say you have $10,000. And again, I am not giving you investment advice, but let's say you have $10,000 to invest. Do you, you have to decide, where should I allocate this capital? Where is it best allocated? And if you have to decide between Amazon, or excuse me, let's say Tesla, that's gonna pay you, I don't know, let's say you can buy 10 shares for eight grand, and you're gonna get $5.20 of earnings. Or you could take it $8,000 and put it in, I don't know, maybe you go into a real estate deal with a buddy or something. But let's say you can make 10%. You make $800. It's going to take a long time for your Tesla earnings to come anywhere close to your real estate earnings. And by the time it does, you will have gotten multiple real estate earnings. You see what I'm saying? Like if your job is to allocate capital and my job is to allocate capital as we go into the future, it just makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm not saying, I think there's a place for speculation. I think that there's a part of the portfolio that it's kind of fun to go out there and speculate and be a little riskier and, and know what you're getting into. But in the long run, if the main goal is to make sure that someday you have the ability to continue to consume your basic needs and maybe, you know, some fun things and maybe a little excess, like, well, the best way to do it long-term is to think about the weighing machine, not the voting machine. Because the voting machine, like in the, in the instance of GameStop, all these people that got in there not realizing that for 325 bucks, you could give them some 325 bucks and in exchange, they're gonna give you a negative $4.22 next year and it'll probably be worse than that. There's a lot of people that are pumping their money into that. They don't understand it. And then when that 325 bucks is only worth two bucks, like it was, I think, 18 months ago for good reason, they won't know why. And this is where so often as our politicians come in to regulate markets and do all these things, it's because so often they don't understand this stuff either. Almost never do they understand how money works and how investing works. And that's why, and I've really been thinking about this a lot lately. Like politics has really been bugging me and it's probably been bugging you. And yet at the same time, I know that even though, whether we like it or don't like it, the reality is, is the people that control the money ultimately end up controlling the politics. And we saw it, like we, we, we saw it when maybe not directly, but when the hedge funds that control all the money or a lot of the money didn't like what was happening, they tightened down and they got what they wanted. And that's what they do in the political realm. And so, that's another conversation for another video, but the point here is all of us individually have to realize that we have to become, like, I think that we have to start teaching financial literacy because the reality is, whether we like it or not, the financial part of life is what runs almost everything. And politicians, like, listen, I'll, I'll tell you an example, like in my state, these politicians, they want to come in and they want to regulate real estate more and they want to do all these things and they want to, you know, give all the tenants more protections, even though they already have all of them. And, and they want to do all these things that sound good. And yet the affordable housing part keeps getting worse. 
Like, like they keep doing more things that they think, even though they don't understand how it works, will make it better. And it actually keeps getting worse. And then they just say, let's double down and do it some more. And at some point, it will get bad enough, just like what's happening in California now, where the people who do know how it works will go somewhere else. Well, they'll go somewhere where that place realizes maybe we should listen to the people who know what the hell they're talking about. Like, I think about this, and, and I got a little flack for this one time, but I, it, so be it. Listen, when it relates to the, the health situation that we're in as a country right now and as a world, what do we say? We got to listen to the experts. We got to listen to the science and the data, and we give all the credit to the experts, and we got to listen to them. But when it comes to affordable housing, don't listen to the experts because they're only in it to make money and they're rich and they're greedy. Aren't most physicians wealthy? Yeah, I think they are. Well, why wouldn't we use the same logic about listening to the experts that we do in the health arena, in the housing arena, in the investment arena, right? Physicians aren't inherently better people and more moral than housing developers or than business owners or anything else. Cause we're all people. There's good people, there's bad people. But the reality is, is we are literally driving out people who understand things like investing, who understand things like money. And we're trying to educate a whole generation and generation after generation to believe a false narrative about the reality of math and money. And we are literally bearing the fruit of that. And you know who's going to help get us out of those things? People who actually understand this stuff. People who can actually say, hey, listen, when it gets bad enough and you finally are willing to listen to people who actually know how this works, we're here. We're here and we'll help. Because that's how we get out of these situations. That's how for you, like, listen, if you're watching this and you think that you're going to get a pension someday, I would just encourage you, go out and do some research or even social security. Any of these things that, that, that we've been promised will be there and be able to supply our needs down the road. And I'm not trying to scare people or be Debbie Downer here, but the reality is the largest, I think, in my opinion, in the research I've done, the largest coming catastrophe in the financial world is the people who think they're going to get a pension or a guaranteed payment and the money is not there. Like, like if you look at the unfunded liabilities in most of these pension funds and most of these social funds, they're funded at like, I don't know, 13%, 18%. I mean, they're, they're so underfunded that the reality is as many of them will not be there or many of them, like some of these people will think that they were gonna get $4,000 a month and they might get 400. Why? Well, because we've basically financed, or excuse me, outsourced our financial future without knowing what we're doing or what the other person's doing to a bunch of people who really only care about making money for themselves. And I'm not trying to say all of them. I'm, just, I'm saying the system as a whole, like it just, the system as a whole rewards people for poor performance. And so, and then the worst part is when they perform poorly, there's no accountability. And so I say all that to say that if you're interested in your financial future, which if you're watching this, you probably are. And, and if you're trying to figure out what the right move is for your financial future, which if you're watching this, you probably are, then it's important to learn these things. And if you don't want to learn them, then find someone who has, because what I don't want to see is a bunch of my friends and people who watch these going out thinking it's a good idea to buy GameStop at 325 bucks a share because some people on Reddit said to. Now listen, I, you can do it and, and you could have done it when it was, you know, 20 bucks a share and you would have made a lot of money. But that's like saying, hey, you know, let's go down and play, play some poker and count some cards and calculate pot odds and hand odds. And you know what? You might make a lot of money and you might not. And I know that there's a bigger message and, and there's a bigger message that people are trying to send. And I get that. And I think it's kind of cool in a lot of ways, but I also know that there, there is danger in it for people who don't understand the financial reality of, of what they're dealing with. And so anyway, that was just a little bit of a, a primer, I think, to investing into money and to how this works, because really at the end of the day, 
so much of, I think, life right now is the elites. I hate to use that because it's so cliche, but it's so true. Like, we've created this society where we, we try and make it sound like you have to be some really smart, novel, you know, well-read, well-educated person to be anybody and to succeed. And it's just such garbage. It's just garbage. Like, honestly, in my business, we definitely don't require any sort of education in order to get a job. Like, I, I don't even think our ads say that you have to have a high school diploma. I don't care. I do not care. All I care about is, one, are you a good person? Two, are you resourceful? Three, do you know how to communicate? Four, do you want to learn? Like, because if you do all those things, I don't care if you're educated. It doesn't matter because you can become educated. You can learn and you can be successful. And I think right now our society is trying to say, no, we can only listen to the elites. We, can only, we have to get our sense of direction and our security from the elites and it's garbage. The reality is, is like, I've been around a lot of construction workers in my day and there, there's a lot of, like most of those people are a lot smarter in reality than a lot of the really educated people that I deal with every day because they're like real people dealing with real problems in the real world. They're not sitting in an ivory tower somewhere philo philosoph uh, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> trying to be philosophical. No, they're, they're living in the real world. And so when it comes to money, it's like, oh, we try to make it complicated with derivatives and this and that and, and all these complicated terms and calculations and formulas. And it's really not that hard. It's really pretty simple. It's really as simple as like, hey, if you're going to give somebody money, are you going to get something in return? Because if what you're getting in return is just hype and excitement and not something that's real and tangible, probably not a good idea. You can still do it. It's your money. Do with it what you want. That's what I like about the free market, even though it doesn't seem like we have that free of a market. But in theory, if we had a free market, that's what's nice about it. But the people who win in those scenarios are the people who have educated themselves, not necessarily at a college or any of those like online courses. You can probably learn more now than you could at any college. And definitely than I probably did at my college and my college. I was a good college. I'm not dogging on my college, but, but like information is so red, readily available out there is if we will just take the time to learn it, to listen to it, to listen to it again and again, we can be good at this stuff. And it's like, we don't have to be good at everything. Right? We can, there are certain things we can outsource to other people, but man, like the five pillars, I think we got to be pretty solid at. I think we got to be pretty solid at why do we believe what we believe? And that's our faith. Like, geez, let's take the time to figure out why we believe what we believe and not outsource it to somebody else. And definitely don't outsource it to, to mainstream media or like to, in, in your financing, just to, to squawk box. No, like take the time, invest the time in that pillar why do you believe what you believe? What do you put your faith in? Relationships. Like, geez, we should be really good at that. We should put in as much time and effort as we possibly can. And as much as is needed to be good at relationships, because that's a pillar. And our health is another pillar. Like, geez, we should work out. We should eat better. We should put time and effort into our health because it's a pillar. And then our money and our work. We should be great at what we do. And if we don't like what we do, we should figure out what we like to do and do that. That's why I'm doing these videos. I like doing these. There's not even that many people listening or watching, and that's okay. I just like doing it. And I hope that someday there will be enough people that find this valuable and helpful that it will, you know, it will spread and it will, and it will help more people and reach more people. But even if it doesn't, I'm going to keep doing it. Why? Because I like doing it. I'm trying to per perfect the craft here. And money. Like you can't always outsource your money to somebody else. You got to take responsibility for it. And if you don't know something, learn it because it's free and it's on the internet and you can learn anything. At least you still can today. And honestly, I think if we focus on those five things and obviously each one of those things has its own subset, but the reality is like from a high level, if we focus on those five things, we can pretty much do anything. And none of those five things require some intricate knowledge of these granular details. I think that's what's so cool to me, so exciting to me about knowledge and about wisdom. It's just like, hey, listen, I said it in one of my first episodes. 
if you can figure out what the box of the, the puzzle, you know, like for building a puzzle, if you can see the box of what the puzzle's supposed to be look supposed to look like finished, it becomes like a thousand times easier to put the puzzle together. So, so the point of that is like, what's life supposed to be at 35,000 feet? And then if it is right, the five pillars in this case, like if you understand how those things tie together and how they work together, well, shoot, then you can take each one of those pillars and you can dive down deeper and, and you can go further into the intricacies of it. Then you can figure out what it looks like on the ground floor and on, on the street level. And then you can make sense of all the roads and where they go and how they intersect. But it's really hard to do that if you haven't thought about it from the, the, the 30,000 feet or from the, you know, the, cover, the, the picture on the box level. So anyway, that's what I got today. It's been a wild week. And like I started with, uh, it just seems like things, they're all converging together. It'll be interesting to see how it goes in the coming weeks and months. Uh, I do think, as I stated in my last money video, I do think that you need to be aware of inflation. I think that you need to be thinking about that. If you have questions about that, let me know, because I think there's a lot to inflation that maybe I'll do in, a, in another video, maybe the next video. Inflation is not just prices going up right? Like inflation, yes, we are having inflation, really a lot of inflation in asset prices, prices of real estate, prices of stocks, prices of commodities. We are not having hyperinflation yet. And I don't know that we will, but we aren't having hyperinflation in, in some of the consumer things that we deal with. We are having inflation. Then, then so the justification, people say, oh, well then see, we're not having that bad of inflation. But what they fail to realize is technology is supposed to reduce the cost of things. Like, think about it. How much cheaper is it flat screen TV today than it was 10 years ago? It's cheaper because of technology and economies of scale and all these things. So inflation isn't always just prices going up. It's also prices not going down as fast as they could or should, which is part of the problem with hiking minimum wage to $15 an hour, right? Because $15 an hour minimum wage doesn't necessarily give anyone more purchasing power. In fact, what it does like I stated in a previous video, it makes everything more expensive. So even if technology would have made things cheaper, which would have meant people who were making less than $15 an hour before could have bought more, now because of artificial inflation, even if the thing isn't necessarily getting that ex much more expensive that fast, it's also not getting cheaper as fast as it otherwise would, which means that people have less purchasing power. So anyway, maybe that's a maybe that's a, another video for another day, but Hope you watch, oh, well, obviously if you're still here, you watch this. Hope you liked what I had to share in this video. If you did, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment anywhere you're listening to this or watching it. If you're on YouTube checking this out, please uh, hit the thumbs up button. And, and if you could share it with a friend, you know, I know that people don't always like if I share a video about faith or something else. And I know I, I have sort of jumped around topics, but like I stated in my very first episode, I, I just want to talk about what I think matters in life and and I do think life is holistic. And I think living a happy, successful, fulfilling life and living, living out our calling, it, it really does incorporate a lot more than just one thing. And so that's what I like to share. And, and hopefully that resonates with some of you. So again, love to hear what you think. If you have questions or you want me to talk about something in a future video, please let me know. Thanks for being here still. We're 53 minutes in, which is my longest one so far, but this stuff's fun to me and, and I hope to do more of it in the future. Thanks again for checking this, this week's video out, this week's episode, and I'll see you next time.